Good morning, salam namaste. I'm very happy to be here. And um, I think a, a couple of thoughts come to my mind um, given what we've just heard. And I think that is very important, this understanding that we are on a continuum and that we have been steadily moving right. And that the we is not just um, the United States, but that it is also many other parts of the world. And I'm going to give a couple of examples from the experience of India, where I was based for the, I'm from India, but I was based there for three years from 2012 to 2015, during which time um, Prime Minister Modi became the Prime Minister of India. Um, became the Prime Minister of India despite the fact that Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International and um, a number of other human rights organizations um, actually held him complicit for um, <coughs> essentially what could be described as a program against uh, the Muslim citizens of the state of Gujarat in West India, where he was what was the equivalent of governor. We call it chief minister in India. Um, so this is essentially like sort of electing somebody who actually has a charge sheet of murder, not just one murder, but close to 5,000 murders on his name, and completely normalizing this election. Um, corporate power was significantly behind Modi because he was supposed to make India great again. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> um, he, he ran on a campaign that said, the good days are coming back again. Um, he spoke about India's great Hindu nationhood. Now, some of you may or may not be familiar with Indian um, history, but in 1947, after over 200 years of British colonization, um, India and Pakistan became two countries, essentially became two countries through very clever divide and rule tactics that the British used and to which we as people also fell prey. Um, that went on to then further subdivide when Bangladesh became an independent nation in 1971. So to, so to have uh, and at that time, India chose not to become a Hindu state. India chose to be a secular, democratic republic. So to have a president in 2015, uh, a prime minister in 2014, um, stand in front of the elected um, parliament of India and say um, to everybody gathered there and to the nation, we must overcome 1,200 years of slavish mentality is what I think you call in America dog whistle politics. Because the British had only been in India for 200 years. So what is the other 1,000 years? The other 1,000 years is the time since the first Muslim contact with India. Not the first Muslim conquest of India, but Arab traders have been coming to India for literally thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And Islam came to India peacefully, not by force, not by um, conquest but that is not the narrative that we have been told. Instead, the dog whistle politics narrative out there was Muslims have come, have conquered, have ruled us for a thousand years plus, and now we must overcome this mentality. So this point that Hakima made about normalization, normalization as Hannah Arendt so powerfully said, and I don't know how many of you are going back to read her, but if you haven't read her, Please read her. The banality of evil is one of the most powerful um, political and psychological understandings of how we normalize what is absolutely evil. And how we begin to say, oh no, that's not because we were 
racist or sexist or this or that. That's just, you know, we, we, we were just doing it because everybody else was doing it. It was the normal. Um, that is what has started happening in place after place after place. And in India now, it is perfectly normal to say, well, but you know, those Muslims, they X, X, Y, Z, etc., etc., etc. And I think the other piece of this is how you challenge normalization is by owning your own privilege. When I sit here in the United States for many years, I've lived here now, I've had the privilege of being quote unquote, and I say that with the tongue in, tongue in cheek, um, the privilege of being a person of color because I've had the ability to think of myself as one with the oppressed, one with the people who are struggling to make a difference in the world. And then I spent three years in India, and within the first three months of everybody saying, no, but what caste are you really? No, but really, what <laughs> caste are you? And my saying, oh, I don't believe in caste, until a dear friend turns to me and says, only upper caste people have the privilege of saying, I don't believe in caste. This is whiteness. To be an upper caste, English-speaking, light-skinned person in India today is white privilege. Right. It is not undercut by the fact that I'm a woman. Although, with all that privilege, if I'm standing on a street in New Delhi, I can also be groped and harassed and, you know. So, the other thing to understand about power is that it shifts. You have power in some places, and that doesn't always translate into power in every place. So, for all of us who are uncomfortable about or who feel like the Women's March made us think about our privilege too much, wake up. Because part of normalization is our own normalizing our own privilege and our beginning to start thinking from that place. So I guess I would just um, end by saying that the struggle in civil society in India against the normalization of hate, against the normalization of bigotry, and against the normalization of misogyny which is a very big piece in all these shared um, right-wing movements, is something that is being led by women's movements in many different ways, but is also, and this is another piece to remember, not all women are aligned with this vision of the world. And that is also something to remember. 53% of white women in this country voted for Trump. Mm -hmm. And white privilege was in direct conflict with the notion that we have tried to build over the years of some kind of a notion of sisterhood. So don't sit in the comfort either of being a feminist or of being an activist or of being a progressive person until you check what else you are carrying with you as an unexamined part of yourself.